0: Well hello. You guys sound good. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. If this is your first time uh, regardless of where you're at we're glad you're with us. You'll find out real quick we're a bunch of messed up people pursuing a perfect God and we're glad you're with us. Um, Let me say hi to all of our locations real quick. I want to say hello to Golden, Littleton, Lakewood, the Vatican both God Behind Bars campuses, and everybody watching online. We love you guys like crazy. We're in this teaching series called Blind Faith, and we're asking questions like, is there any reason, any logic, any evidence that would help me believe in God, Jesus, the Bible, the Christianity, right? Or or is the whole thing just based on blind faith? As you know, you guys are dictating the direction of this series. You get the Red Rocks Church app on your phone. You hit the blind faith button on the first page and send in your submissions. What, what makes it tough for you to believe? What, why do you think other people have a hard time believing? And that helps me know what to talk about each week of this series. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. You have one more week to keep sending in your submissions. And let me know what you'd like to hear me talk about on the weekend I was hoping to sort of ease into this series, but you guys have have taken that option off the table uh, because of your submissions. You came out of the gates with the foot on the gas. Uh, Last week, the question was this, if there's a God, then why is there pain and suffering in the world today? Great question, huge question. And so we talked about that last week. This week's questions are as follows. Why is Christianity the only true religion? And the second question is this, and and we'll get to this one right at the end. People say that there's a bunch of proof that God exists, but if I haven't personally experienced Christ, how can I believe it? Great questions. So let me just say something that I said last week, but in case you weren't here um, or, or wherever you're at right now watching this or listening to this in case you missed it, It's important for me that you know, I'm very aware of of who I am and who I'm not. I'm very aware that I'm real far from perfect. I don't have all the answers. I don't know the answers to all your questions and I won't pretend otherwise. Fair enough? My promise to you is, I'll work extremely hard and I'll do my very best to talk about your toughest questions and and the most popular submissions that you guys send in. And then we'll do what we do every week here, which is take a take a step back and say, "Okay, God, now it's you and we'll ask the creator of the universe to come be with us and that that his presence would be felt and that he would prove himself real to us and speak to us about our lives and change our lives in a way that only he can do. So that's the game plan and we'll continue doing that. Because of the question, I will defend my personal belief today. I believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only son of the one and only God. And I will defend that belief today. But know this, if you're part of a different religion, you know people who are, love people who are, whatever. Because I'm going to defend my personal beliefs, I don't think I'm better than any of you or anyone else. And I don't think God loves me any more than anybody else. And I definitely don't intend to demean anyone who believes differently than me. And, and, and that is important for all of us to keep in mind when we're a part of conversations that sort of uh, tend to go in this direction. And I was reminded of that this week. In fact, um, I was at one of my boys' basketball games. I have three little boys, <clears throat> excuse, me. excuse me, who are playing basketball right now, which means that we go to about 47 basketball games a week. That's what me and Jill do. And so there's a friend of ours and, and, and their child plays on one of my child's teams. And um, I know he's a religious man and he's not a Christian. He's a part of a different major world religion. And I wanted to talk to him about it, but I didn't really know how to start the conversation. And so I was as awkward as you would be if you were gonna try and have a real spiritual talk with somebody at a youth basketball game. <laughs> and so I kinda walked over to him and I was like, boy, this, uh, this half-court press is killing us, huh? <laughs> Whew, we gotta get this figured out or we're doomed. How do you get to heaven? I mean, it was just about that awkward. I said, look, we both know that we have differences in beliefs. How do you believe that you get to heaven? And we had this long talk. And we agreed on some things. There's some things that we would disagree on. But you know what? I walked away from the conversation going, that's a great man. I mean, the way he answered my questions and talked to me in such humility, with grace. He was kind. He was thoughtful. And I thought that's how it should be. And, and I have to remind myself of stuff like that because by nature, that's not my personality. By nature, I'm, I'm short and blunt and rude maybe. I don't know, it depends who you ask. Like, so I have to remind myself, but that's how it should go. We shouldn't leave and walk away from discussions about what I believe and what you believe and what we believe and then hate each other because of it or, or demean each other because of it. Isn't that what Jesus said, John 13, 35? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And see, I believe that we can have real deep, dangerous spiritual talks and do so in love. And so part of my goal today is to tell you why I believe the way I believe and I hope that it comes across that I'm trying to do so in love. As I get going, I wanna go ahead and note my sources right up top for this talk. Um, Tim Keller is one of them. You'll hear me refer to him multiple times. I've learned a ton from him. Uh, Lee Strobel, Mahatma Gandhi, CS Lewis, a dad at a basketball game, Jesus and Bono. (laughs) That's a group I'd like to party with right there. Why is Christianity the only true religion? That's the question. And I think the word that really upsets people is, is exclusivity right that's what it is that's what bothers people and I know because I've asked the question and it used to really bother me and some of you have asked it maybe you are in the middle of asking it maybe you know people who are asking it right and it sounds a little different but it always ends up coming out something like this why do those Christians think they know the truth just them just they know the truth and if you don't believe the way they do well then everybody's going to hell I mean, that's it, isn't it? Why do those Christians think they know the truth? Why is Jesus the only way and everybody else is just sunk? And you hear things like, well, that's awfully narrow-minded and arrogant and egocentric and foolish, right? So to begin the conversation, I'd like to sort of establish a foundation from which we can have this discussion. And so I wanna start with a sort of a foundational statement and it's this. All religious beliefs are exclusive, including yours. All religious beliefs are exclusive, including yours. It isn't just Christians. I think sometimes Christians get a bad rap because it's like, why do those Christians think that they've got it figured out? The truth is every major world religion says we've got it figured out. We know the truth. We know the way, and we'd love to share it with you. Every major world religion claims that they have the exclusive knowledge. That's not just a Christian thing. I think it's fair to point that out. Let me give you some cliff notes of what some of the major world religions base their belief system on. And then we'll start to discuss the differences. All right. A Buddhist would say, for us, heaven is nirvana. It actually has very little to do with God. And it's all about you um, uh, experiencing enlightenment. You experiencing complete enlightenment and we know the truth. We know the way to get you there and we'd love to share it. But That's what a Buddhist would say. It's very exclusive. A Hindu would say, I respectfully disagree. The way to heaven is by living a really good life and doing enough good things. And if you do enough good things and live a good enough life, then you will be reincarnated and you will come back as a more noble person or animal and eventually that will lead you to heaven. Very exclusive. The Muslim would say, no, 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 that's not it. No, Allah is the one true God. There's not a bunch of gods, like some of you think. There's one true God, his name is Allah. And the way to get to heaven is to do enough good things for Allah. And a Jehovah's Witness would say, no, 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 that, that, that's not the case. That's not the case. Um, the only way to go to heaven is, is to be a part of the Jehovah's Witness church. And you have to do enough good things because only a very specific number of people get into heaven. And so you, you want to be on top. you got to do enough good things. And a Mormon would say, that's not exactly it. A Mormon would say, no, um, picture a three-act play. Act one was us in heaven before we lived on earth. We were all spiritual children of God's before we were born here on earth. And right now we're in act two. And this is sort of a testing ground. And if you want to get to heaven, heaven has three levels. God's presence is only at the third level. And this this is a testing ground. And if you do enough good things, you can earn your way into the third level of heaven and actually experience the presence of God. And then a Christian would say, no, 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 that's not it. No. Um, See, we believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins. And that is for everybody. Anybody in the world. If you put your faith in Jesus, you get his grace and forgiveness and atonement for your sins. And you get heaven. And you don't ever have to figure out how to be good enough. You don't have to figure out how to do enough good things. It just applies to everybody. See, but my point is, see the differences." And each one says, we know the way to heaven. We describe God differently. We see who God is, or if there's one God or many gods, we have different routes to get to God. Like they're all different. They all disagree, but they're all exclusive. Every religious claim actually is an exclusive claim. And I'm gonna show you that, including yours, including mine. You might say, or you might know someone who would say, That's not true with me. I'm not a part of one of those religions, so I don't make exclusive claims like that. I'm smarter than that. Right? And so I say, I think all religions are right. See, I'm open-minded. I'm inclusive. Actually, that's a very exclusive thing to say. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But there are billions of people on the planet that would completely disagree with you. Namely, everyone who belongs to one of those major world religions I just listed The Mormons would say, that's not right. And the Hindus would say, that's not right. The Muslims would say, that's not right. And the Christians would say, that's not right. There's billions of people who who would disagree with you. So you're saying, I'm so open minded, I'm so inclusive. And the truth is, billions of people would go, that's a very exclusive thing to say. You're awfully narrow minded. Ever think of that? As soon as you say, I believe that all religions are kind of right, I believe that all religions are kind of wrong. I believe that you can't really know the truth. I believe that there is no God. Every single one of those are very exclusive claims that billions of people would disagree with you on. See, my take on spiritual reality is right and yours is wrong, that's what you're saying. Every time you and me say, here's what I believe or here's what I don't believe, that's what we're saying. My take on spiritual reality is right, and their take is wrong. And that's a very exclusive thing to say. Tim Keller puts it like this. No one's take on spiritual reality is right. He's not saying that. He's saying, if you were to say, no one's take on spiritual reality is right, they're all equal, is to say, my take on spirituality is right. Which means that you just did, what you just did is what you've told Christians not to do, which means you're locked into a very hypocritical, self-contradictory cycle. See, all religious claims are exclusive. It's not just Christians that make exclusive claims. It's every major world religion and us every time we talk about it. See, that's a whole different foundation with which we can start from, right? Now there's a foundation where we're all on the same page and we understand that whatever my beliefs are, they're just as exclusive as whatever your beliefs are. We all make exclusive claims when it comes to our beliefs. With that in mind, let's talk about this only way to heaven thing. See, if you don't believe in one of those major world religions that I sort of gave you the cliff notes for, if you don't believe in one of those, the popular thing to say nowadays is, I just sort of believe that, all religions are equally valid I think that they all sort of talk about the same God and I think they all kind of just get you to the same place that's the popular thing to say that's the Oprah thing to say okay they're just all equally valid that kind of talk makes you friends at parties it just does it sounds open-minded it sounds inclusive it sounds enlightened and intelligent the only problem is it's completely wrong it's impossible because that's why I wanted to give you the cliff notes of what these major world religions think. One says there's hundreds of thousands of gods. One says there's one. One says you got to do this to get to them. One says you got to do this. There's not that many gods. There's one God, and here's how you get to them. No, there's not that. There's this many gods, and you got to get to them this way. They all disagree. They can't all be right if they all disagree, right? I mean, we said we were going to use some logic and some reason in this teaching series. If, if every single one of us at every single campus were able to be just sort of miraculously taken over to the Denver Coliseum. Actually, where I'd want to take us is right down the road from the Denver Coliseum, but it's where I-70 and I-25 intersect, okay? And let's say that you said, you know what? I want to go to Vail. Vail is heavenly, and that's where I want to be. And, and someone would say, well, you know what? It's about a two-hour drive. I mean, depending on traffic, you can get there in about two hours. And you go, okay, well, that's where I wanna go. So how do I get there? Which way do I go? And one person were to say, I'll tell you what you gotta do. You need to get on I-25 north here and you need to go straight that way for two hours. You can get there. And then somebody else comes over and goes, I respectfully disagree. What you need to do is you need to get on I-25 headed south and you drive about two hours, you'll get to Vail. And then someone else comes over and goes, guys, th- uh, we're gonna do this in love, but um, the way to Vail is actually I-70 West. That's to be about two hours you wanna go there. And then the fourth person comes over and goes, so sorry to disagree, it's just the way I was brought up, but um, <laughs> the-, the way to Vail is actually two hours on I-70 East. That's the direction you wanna go, that'll get you to Vail. Now how stupid would it be to stand right in the middle and go, I just kind of think they're all right. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? It sounds open minded, it sounds real inclusive, it sounds real smart until you actually put it to the test. It doesn't work. Different roads going in different directions don't take us to the same place. Since all of our religious beliefs are based on exclusive claims, The question really shouldn't even be, why do those Christians think they have the only way to heaven? Right? Because then you could just ask that about every other faith tradition and every other person. The question really should be just, why do Christians believe the way they do? But it doesn't matter. However you ask the question, let me tell you why I believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of the one and only living God, and I don't believe it takes blind faith to arrive at that conclusion. Go ahead and put that first slide up. Why I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. What he said and what he did. There's there's more reasons that I'd love to share with you, but these are the two that I'm gonna share today. What he said and what he did. First, I wanna talk about what he said because what Jesus said sets him completely apart from the founders of every other major world religion. Now, whether or not you believe in him, whether or not you're a part of whatever, what he said simply puts him in a different category. All right, let's look at the things that he said, some of the things he said. He claimed he would be judging the world at the final judgment. He said he had the power to give eternal life. He said that to see him was to see God. He said that to know him was to know God. He forgave sins. He claimed titles exclusive to God. He claimed he and God the Father were one. He claimed he had been in heaven previously with God. And he said he had the ability to answer people's prayers. You see, this puts him in a completely different category based, just based on what he said. The founder of every other one of those religions that I mentioned to you started like this with a guy saying, I'm not God. And I don't have a whole lot of evidence to show you where I got the information I want to share with you. You're going to have to trust me on that. I'm not God, but I can help you find him. And that was the starting point. You see, Christianity almost started from the opposite extreme. Jesus said, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I am God. I came to find you. And I'm going to prove it. It's just different. It's an entirely different way to start the whole thing off. And a real popular viewpoint, if you want to try to explain away Jesus, like you want to to try and say, I don't think he was the son of God. I don't think he was exactly who he said he was. A real popular thing to say is, and, and maybe some of you have said it or heard someone say it, he was a great man, a great teacher, a great prophet, just not the son of God. Right? I mean, let's not get crazy. He was a great teacher, but just not the son of God. I love what C.S. Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See C. S. Lewis's point and, and it's it's extremely logical. He was either a liar and a crazy lunatic who needed, who needed to be locked up, put in a padded room with a helmet on, right? Or he was who he said he was, the one and only son of the one and only living God, the Messiah. But you can't have it both ways. There is no in-between. Logic and reasoning tells us, if you're a great teacher, what you teach has to be true, right? You can't be a great teacher and teach lies. It disqualifies you from being a great teacher. To be a great teacher, what you teach has to be true. If one of my boys came home and said, Dad, I have the greatest math teacher in the world. I said, okay, son, tell me about him. Why do you love him? And he said two things, Dad. Number one, he taught us that two plus two is seven. And I needed to hear that. It spoke to me and the second thing is the second half of every class he encourages us to eat candy and text our friends I love this teacher dad he's great and I'd have to sit my son down and go son he sounds like an interesting fella sounds like me and mom are going to have a parent teacher conference he's not a great teacher He might be a lot of great things. He's not a great teacher. He can't be a great teacher because what he's teaching you is inaccurate, it's incorrect, it's false, it's a lie. To be a great teacher, what you teach has to be the truth. So if Jesus was a great teacher, then what he taught had to be the truth. So then the real question is, well, was he a great teacher, right? People all around the globe seemed to think he was. In fact, major world religions seem to think he was. Hindus believe that Jesus was a great teacher, great prophet. Mahatma Gandhi says this, I should not care if it were proven that Jesus did not exist. The Sermon on the Mount would still be true for me. Said he's a great teacher. The Jews would say the same thing, he's a great teacher. Claude Montefiore, a Jewish leader, says this, Jesus was the most important Jew who ever lived. The greatest religious exemplar of every age, God's nearness was felt by Jesus directly with a vivid intensity, unsurpassed by any man. Muslims believe that Jesus was a great teacher. In fact, I read this week, Muslims believe Jesus is one of God's highest ranked and most beloved prophets. But you can read about how Muslims believe he was a great teacher. It talks about it in the Quran. Logic says if he was a great teacher, then what he taught had to be true. Jesus is so seen as a great teacher that even his worst enemies referred to him as such. This is crazy. In Mark chapter 12, and you can read this whole chapter for yourself, I'm going to read part of it. Um, The powers that be were getting upset with Jesus because they felt like some of his teachings were making them look stupid. And so they wanted to have him arrested and murdered. That was their plan. And so what they, what they came up with is, we'll go talk to Jesus in public, so there's witnesses, and we're going to ask him some financial questions. Like, do you give your money to God or do you give him money to Caesar? And we're going to get Jesus to say the wrong thing, and then we're going to have some grounds to arrest him on and eventually have him killed. So his worst enemies are going to come talk to him, try to trap him. But watch how they refer to him. Mark 12, verses 12 through 15 Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, listen to this teacher. This is worst enemies talking teacher. We know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And now they try to trap him. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Jesus' biggest enemies while he was alive said, we'll say a lot of things about him, but let me tell you what we all know. He's a man of integrity and he teaches the truth of God. That's what his enemies said. If he was a great teacher, then what he taught had to be true. And he taught that he was the one and only son of the one and only God. And this doesn't prove anything, but I think it's fun to see. Even Bono agrees with this one. I don't pretend to know Bono's relationship with God, but listen to what he said in an interview about Jesus. No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. And then Bono goes on to say this. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. (laughs) The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. Didn't know Bono was... Such a preacher. <laughs> Logic says that if he was a great teacher, then what he taught had to be true in Red Rocks Church. Let's make sure we know exactly what he taught. John fourteen six. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, I believe he's the only way to heaven because of what he said. And I believe he's the only way to heaven because of what he did and what he did was come back to life he said let me just prove it to you and I know that just me saying that if you're a skeptic or if you're having a hard time with your faith or if you're trying to investigate this stuff just me saying that right opens up Pandora's box opens up a truckload of questions and I understand that so I want to encourage you to go if you're serious about investigating this go get a book called A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel He talks about this in more detail than I could ever talk about in one message and he does so on a level that I could never do. But it's an amazing story because he was actually one of the country's best journalists and he was an atheist and his wife gave her life to God and it made him mad. So he set out to go around the world and collect evidence to disprove the resurrection of Jesus and he found so much evidence pointing to the resurrection of Jesus that he gave his life to him. Crazy story. So I challenge you to go get that book, A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Let me give you just one of the many pieces of evidence that points to the fact that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do, come back to life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 was written about 20 years after Jesus died. And I challenge you to go read this chapter on your own this week. The, The chapter starts out by Paul saying, what I'm writing to you right now You guys already know, I'm just reminding you of stuff I've been teaching you for a long time. So we know that what he's writing about, like this is like right after Jesus died kind of stuff, okay? But here's what he says 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul says, Jesus came back, from the dead you saw it a whole bunch of you you were there you were there when he was killed you were there when he was buried you saw the empty tomb and a whole bunch of you saw him after he came back to life you don't have to just trust me ask him ask him ask him ask her ask him ask her and he says there's 500 people who saw it go ask them they're still alive except for the couple that had the thing you know it was tragic I mean that's what he says A couple of them fell asleep, but almost all of them are still alive. Go ask them. See, understand this. This is a public document. Whether or not you believe in Jesus, history tells us this is a public document that was written to churches to be read out loud for the public. You can't write a public document and expect to sway people's opinions when there's a whole bunch of living eyewitnesses who could disprove everything you're saying. Can't happen. Doesn't work. Let me give you an example, a Denver example. The final Broncos football game at the original Mile High Stadium was played on December 23 in the year 2000. Our Broncos beat Chad and Scott and JB's 49ers. 38 to nine, with Brian Greasy as quarterback, all right? He had one leg. Okay, Brian Greasy was a quarterback and we won thirty eight to nine. When you lose thirty eight to nine, you need to rethink your entire organizational structure. Okay, that's how bad we beat the Niners. Now, the next year, Broncos started playing in the new stadium. So almost everybody around Denver, they saw the old stadium being destroyed. They saw it being leveled. They saw where it used to be. Right. Now, let's say here I come. And I'm going to write an article because I'm starting a religion and I want to sway some people's opinions. Let's say I write it now or five years from now. And I'm 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 gonna start my religion based on an actual event in history, a miracle, okay? So I write about how, how all you guys saw the old Mile High Stadium being destroyed and you saw it crumble and you saw it wiped out. What some of you may not have seen is a few days later, it started miraculously putting itself back together. Those are bricks. Pillar by pillar, brick by brick. Seats are literally falling out of heaven into place. And the whole stadium gets miraculously put back together. I don't know if all you saw it, it was unbelievable. And then the whole thing, it starts floating into the air. And it was glowing, it was glowing and floating. There's a little bit of smoke coming off the back and John Elway stood atop of it. And he held a Super Bowl ring in each hand. And he was crying. And it ascended into heaven. Come, follow me. Now let, I mean, That's a crazy story, right? About as crazy as the guy who said he was the son of God came back to life last week. Now, if what I'm saying is false, I can't get away with it. My religion will never get started. No one will follow me. Why? Because a whole bunch of you actually lived in Denver in the year 2000. You were here. You know if it happened or not. And if it didn't happen, everybody says I'm crazy and nobody believes me. But if it happened, and there are hundreds of people all across the city who say, I saw it, it was crazy, but I saw it, then we know it happened. I mean, think about that kind of eyewitness testimony power. Think about our courtrooms today. You bring in one eyewitness that says, I saw it. Your Honor, I'd like to call my second witness to the stand. I saw it days. Your honor, I'd like to call my 444th witness to the stand. I saw it. You know what you do with testimony like that? You believe it in every court in our country because it's the kind of evidence that simply cannot be refuted. That's the kind of evidence we have for the resurrection of Jesus. Picture it. You can't get around evidence like that. In Christianity, it took off like wildfire. And thousands of people overnight started giving their lives to Jesus in the city during the time when if you were gonna be a skeptic, it was the best city and the best time in the history of humanity to be a skeptic because you lived there, you know if it happened or not. And by the thousands, they start putting their faith in Jesus. And today, billions of people have put their faith in the fact that Jesus Christ came back to life and understand this, and this is what separates Christianity. None of them are putting their faith in a leader who says, I can't really show you where I got the information, but just trust me. No. They're putting their faith in an event that happened in history with so much eyewitness testimony that it couldn't be refuted. See, that's entirely different. Tim Keller says this on page 218 of The Reason for God. No one has come up with any plausible alternative to this claim. Even if you proposed the highly unlikely idea that one or two of Jesus' disciples did get the idea that he was raised from the dead on their own, they would never have gotten a movement of other Jews to believe it unless there were multiple, inexplicable, plausible, repeated encounters with Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only founder of any world religion who said, I'm not gonna show you how to find God, I am God, and I came to find you. And here, let me prove it. It's just different. Band, you guys can come on up. Putting your faith in Jesus isn't even close to blind faith. Let me finish by looking at that second question People say that there's a bunch of proof that God exists, but if I haven't personally experienced Christ, how can I believe it? Great question. And as I read that question this week, it occurred to me, that's the same question that one of Jesus's best friends was wrestling with after the resurrection. Jesus came back to life, started appearing before all these eyewitnesses. And some of the apostles had seen him and they came back to Thomas and said, Jesus is alive again. He came back from the dead, just like he said. Thomas says this, John 20, 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See what he's saying? He's saying, If I don't experience Jesus for myself, how am I gonna believe that? And you know what Jesus' answer was? Well, then let's get you an experience. That's what his answer was. So Jesus comes to Thomas, John 20, 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He said, Thomas, I understand your questions. They're normal. You're intelligent. I created you with that mentality. I created your mind. I know what you're going through. I get the question. So let's just put it all to rest. Let's get you an experience. And Thomas would never have to, have to doubt again because he'd experienced it firsthand. And that's my story. That, that, that would be my number three of why I believe in Jesus because of my experience. And that would be the story of thousands of people just around this one church family. Thousands of people would say, I I was just like you. And I didn't know, and I didn't buy it. And the whole thing sounded crazy, but I could feel he was calling me into a relationship with him. And so one day I just said, okay, if you're real God, I'm going to give this a shot. Prove it to me. And he gave me an experience that no argument can ever take away. And that's what Jesus wants for every single one of you who are sitting on the fence right now and you're wondering and you're doubting and you got all these arguments floating around your mind and he said, she said, they said, I don't know, who knows. Jesus says, I get it. Let's get you an experience that nobody can take away from you. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna spend some time worshiping with music. And if you know that today God is calling you into a personal relationship with him. I wanna challenge you. Just talk to God in your own words while we're worshiping. Say, I I want that forgiveness of sins that you offer. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. Let's go. You talk to him about that in your own words. And the Bible says, according to the word of God, right then you are saved. And I'm telling you, you're beginning a, a journey with Jesus where he will give you a personal experience that no one can ever take away from you. And when you have that, see, then you know That this whole thing it isn't even close to being based on just blind faith let's pray god i thank you that you have every single one of us attentive to this talk for a reason right now you don't do anything by accident and so god i thank you i thank you that you know what every single one of us are going through You know the thoughts, you know the doubts, you know the questions, you know the concerns, you know our past. And God, I pray right now that you would break through every single bit of that and that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds and that we would experience you on a personal level. I pray God for those who are doubting right now, I pray that you would give them the courage to take that first step of faith and to let you prove to them exactly how real you are. And God, for every single person who's already made that decision, who's already walking through this life with you, I pray, God, that you would be with us right now, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us your grace and mercy one more time today, because we need it. And God, on behalf of all of us, I just say thank you. And right now, it is our absolute honor to worship you with music. In Jesus' name, amen. At every campus, would you guys stand up? Let's worship.